chapter 13. I'm going to be one of them lovey-dovey preachers tonight, but I'll tell you what. I get the same pair of cowboy boots every time I go to the store. I've been buying these for decades now. and you got to have some tougher kind of boots out in St. Mary's. for Even for dress shoes, you know, you never know. Might be going to a village, and there you get stuck. We do got a little 26 mile. Once you fly 450 miles out from Anchorage to us, we got a 26 mile road, but it's a gravel road, and it is terrible. And you got four wheel drive trucks with lifts on them that get stuck going from St. Mary's to Mount. It's worse now than it was then, if you can imagine. Uh, two trucks recently had their back axles tore out from under the truck, going through potholes a little bit too swift. So you get stuck, and you got to get out, and you got to go ahead and get unstuck. And that can take a while out in the tundra where there's no trees to tie off to. You got to carry an anchor with you, and then get a sledgehammer and beat it down into the tundra, and then winch yourself out of where you got stuck in the pothole, and so on. So you, you need tougher boots than just your run of the mill. And, and I mean, the first thing I did with these when I got them is I went and I made about took about a hundred bull calves and made eunuchs out of them. So they're they're good work boots, but. The thing about them for this message I really like, and messages like this, is they do got a composite steel toe in them. And that's for when the Lord stomps on your toes. Amen. You need it. And this is one of those messages. I know it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but spiritually, there's sometimes, uh, you remember this morning I talked about the Lord taking a spiritual 254 and smiting the preacher? Well, sometimes the Lord does, sometimes he takes some spiritual. Uh, logging boots and stomps on my toes with it about some things I hadn't really been applying to my life. I should have in the scripture. And this is one of those. Well, let's pray and go to the Lord. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, dear Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you'll take this word and lead, guide, and direct us. You'll never guide us into a lie, the Bible says. Help us to apply it to our life. Forgive me for the man of sin that I am in this body of flesh at times. Help me to be used for a vessel for your honor and glory tonight, dear Lord. And we give you the honor and glory for this message out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, charity, oh my goodness. If you want to get in a world of theological trouble, just go on the internet and type in the definition of charity, and you're going to get all kinds of answers. The most common one is, oh, it's just another word for love. Well, that's pretty shallow. You know, I, I am so glad we don't have one word for 10 or 12 different scenarios only in English. We sometimes have several words for different nuances, different flavors of the same situation. And charity, it's not just plain love. I've heard other people, I've read, and oh, it's love in action. You're starting to get closer, getting a little closer. It's love in action with the right motivation. That's even closer now. Love put into action with the right motivation. Now, how many of y'all teenagers can relate to this? Okay, you love your mama. How many of y'all teenagers love your mama? Raise your hands now. Okay, there's some people that aren't teenagers. They're smart, they're smart. You say you love your mama, but that doesn't mean much to her. Take out the trash, sweetheart. Would you take out the trash for mama, please? This is where the love's put in action, right? I got better thing. I got basketball practice to go to. I ain't got time for that. Love and action with the right attitude. Okay, you got a right attitude on the outside, but what about on the inside? Do you have to do it or do you want to do it? 
we're starting to get closer to, I think, the biblical definition. You know, God was very charitable towards mankind. He gave and asked nothing in return. He put his love into action with the right motivation, with the right attitude, with the right spirit about him. And what are we supposed to do as Christians? We're supposed to define our own life? No. The Bible says we're just supposed to be holy as God is holy. We're supposed to emulate our Savior. We're like a gemstone. You know what makes gemstones precious? You got to go. The miner, he goes, and he gets nasty, filthy, dirty, grubbing around, and he pulls a rock out of the ground that a lot of people would just think is another rock, but he knows that one's special. And he takes, and he cleans that thing up, and then it might take more than a year or two, but he cuts it, and he sands it, and he fastens it, and he knocks off the rough edges. With some people like me, it takes a lifetime. What did Christ do for us? When I was in the world, lost and undone in my sins, before I was even born, his son out of God's great love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He sent his Son to die in my place for my sins. One day, knowing I was going to be born, I was going to sin against him, but he was going to come down and he was going to deal with me. And thank God, I was able to respond to that great love of God and he picked me up out of the world after getting filthy dirty in his Son, taking my sin upon his own body going to hell in my place, those, those bulls of Bashan, the dogs, the demons of hell tortured him, according to Psalm chapter 22, prophecy about the death of Christ, not just a physical death, but he suffered spiritually in my place for my sins, in the belly of the earth, the Bible says. Prophecy about Jonah. But what makes a gemstone attractive to the world now? Not the, not the miner, not the master crafter who can facet it and cut it, it reflects the light. The more facets a diamond has and the greater clarity, the more valuable it is. The more we reflect our Savior or are able to by making ourselves holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, the more we, by the glory of God reflected off of us, are attractive to the world so that they respond not to anything of us that's great, but the goodness of God. So charity, I believe, if we're going to define it here in a minute, and you'll see where I'm going with it, charity is the love of God put into the action with the right spirit and motivation. Because there's a lot of things that the world defines charity as that the Bible says that is not charity. We're going to look and just let the Bible define itself as it does so wonderfully, if you'll let it. 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, we're going to look first of all at some things charity is not. I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, who likes to hear a big brass band? I love to hear a big brass band. It, it joys me. Military bands, you know, the, the military, uh, what do they call them, anthems or what? Marches, uh, yeah, uh, I like to listen to those. But one of the most annoying instruments to me by itself is a tuba. In a band, it's fine, but in a tuba by itself is not fine. Uh, 
I went out one time, and I, I was hired by this farmer to go and trap coyotes because it was almost calving season. Calves were going to be dropping. He wanted me to trap the coyotes off in the local area. So I was out in the middle of nowhere, and I'm setting this trap, and I was really skinny until I was about this high when I was 16. Then I had a growth spurt between 16 and 17 to where I am now. I was very thin, and it was hard for me to set big traps. And I'm down there, and I'm trying to set this big old long spring trap, Sleepy Creek, four and a half, big old thing, because it was in the water, and I didn't know how the coyotes, and I had modified the pan where it was really big. So no matter where he stepped in this little creek, he was going to hit that pan. And I'm trying to compress those springs with my knees, and all of a sudden I hear this big sound, I just about got caught in the trap. Somebody in the cow pasture on the other side of the swamp had went out there because their parents wouldn't let them practice the tuba in the house, sent them to the back 40 to practice the tuba, and they almost caused me to get seriously bodily harm done to me. Tubas by themselves are not very attractive. Now, in a band, they're wonderful. I love them. My voice resembles one. If you heard me singing, I'm like a nasal twang bullfrog, my granny calls me. But by itself, it's not that good, in my opinion. When we say we're Christians, and all we do is reflect the love of God, charity to a lost and dying world, but we really don't, we fluff ourselves up, we speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. When we do not show charity to a lost and dying world, and then we quote John 3.16, it comes off a little like this, Isaiah. For God so loved the world, and that's what we hear ourselves ask, but this is what they hear us ask. And they just want to get away. And we're going to define charity, first of all, some things that it is not. First of all, right here, it's not hypocrisy. Having a Christian exterior, but no interior. Jesus Christ, this body of flesh that I am, that which I would do, that do I not, that which I would not, that do I, it gets me in trouble. But this, God's fascinated with this body. Somehow, I don't understand it. The Bible says he wrote our fleshly body, all the members in a book before the foundation of the world. When he saved me, he left me in this body. I can't fathom that, Pastor. And then at the end of the world, wherever this body lays at the bottom of the sea, torn to how many different particles by the fishes and changed in shape a lot, doesn't matter. The Bible says, I'm going up during the rapture. During the rapture, right before the seven-year tribulation period. I'm going up. I'll be resurrected. I'm saved. I don't understand why he left me in this sinful body. But I do know this, I'm changed on the inside, and what's on the inside is going to come out. And that's what lost people are looking for. When the nitty-gritty happens, when the rubber meets the road, are you still a Christian? Or was you just one on the outside, a facade put up, something fake? Verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. We can know a lot about the mysteries in the Bible. The Bible says we're supposed to study them. We can have a lot of knowledge. You know your next door neighbor, that lost one, you've been witnessing to for a long time. Maybe, maybe they came to you and they said, man, your kids are turning out so well and mine aren't. 
we'll take them to the book of knowledge, Proverbs, and we can show them what Proverbs says about how to raise kids. And, and man, we, prophecy. I'm going to use Isaiah for a illustration. You don't mind. No, he doesn't mind at all. No. So I'm from the south. I can do this real good. Oh, Isaiah. I prophesy you're going to meet a girl from Alabama. And she's going to have buck teeth so big she can eat a hamburger through a chain link fence, and y'all are going to have 17 kids, and three of them is going to be twins, three sets of twins included. So, no, I, I'm just joking. I got your attention now. I'm just picking at you. We can dip, get them to the book of prophecy in the Bible that has yet to be fulfilled, the book of Revelation, and our next-door neighbor can come to us. I don't understand all this. Could you explain it to me? And we can start at chapter 1 and go to verse 22 over a week's time and talk about the prophecy and tell them, if you're lost, you don't want to go through that seven-year tribulation period. You need to get saved. And then it comes down to this. Yeah, they're drunks. They spent their money on drinking. And they come over to you during one of the cold snaps in there. Israel, my two kids are bad sick, and I spent all my money on drinking. You can still smell it on me, and that cold snap's coming. It's going to get below freezing, and, and I ran out of propane. You, could I borrow the propane tank off the front of your camper there? I'll, I'll fill it up when I get better times. No, no, you, you spend it on drinking. That's on you, man. This will be a lesson for you. And they go away, and their pipes burst, and they got a lot of damage in that old mobile home they live in, and their kids got sicker because it was damp and cold in the house and wound up getting pneumonia, having to go to the clinic. The next time you quote John 3.16 to your neighbor, are they really going to be thinking about John 3.16? They'll probably be like a lot of good southern people and put on a grin, and on the end say, you hypocrite. When I needed you, yeah, I had sinned, and I know you don't like that just needed some propane and they their mind is not on john 3 16 it went in one ear and out the other they don't care about you understanding the book of revelation or the knowledge about raising kids in the book of proverbs they don't care about your faith in god they don't have it and judging by your lifestyle when it came down to where rubber met the road to them the bible says this is harsh i am nothing now, in this woke age, can you imagine? Can you, let's see, Greta Thunberg, isn't that that Swedish girl that's always going around? Uh, what, what's, what's the thing when she makes the ugly face? What, what does she say? She says something like, uh, how dare you? How dare you? About the climate and all that. Okay. Can you imagine going up to her and telling her, now, sweetheart, now, I, I know you don't want to hear this, but did you know all your works of worldly charity? They're nothing. You're nothing. What would be the Twitter reaction to that? They got you on camera doing that, and they put it all over YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and all that. Oh, my goodness. We don't like to. I don't like to be told. You say you're a Christian. You do all these supposedly good things when it's easy, but when it's convenient. And you know all these things about the Bible, but to me, the lost person, your lifestyle, because I was in need, not a want, but a need, and you didn't help me, you're nothing. That's, that's the, the Bible, like I said, you need, I hope you wore your Crocs would still toast tonight because I should have warned everyone this morning. I didn't know I was preaching, though, this morning. So, And though I bestow, verse 3, oh, though, this is the world's definition right here. Look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. This, think of the Salvation Army, right? 
Think of the pot in front of Walmart. I don't, they don't have a Walmart here, do they? Well, catch again, they do. Usually the Salvation Army, they got Santa Claus ringing the bell, right, with the pot. This is what the world considers charity. Throw your change in the pot. You help someone. Okay, we got charity. We check that box today. But the Bible says, and though I give my body to be burned, man, I went over and suffered on this, uh, this uh, medical missions trip to so, so, such and such a place, and I got sunburned in the Bahamas, you know. I got sunburned. Though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Not only are you nothing to the world, but your eternal rewards from a holy God, there is no profit in shallow Christianity. We say we emulate a great Savior, but how did he show charity to us? He did not ask me for anything before I got saved. He didn't say, Israel Warren, give me your checking account, all the information I needed. He didn't ask me for the use of my physical body. He said, I want you to climb the Himalayas and go from India to China. He didn't demand that of me. He, he didn't demand anything of me. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. He put no stipulations on His charity. But we do. So often we'll tell the neighbor, I'll give you some propane if you'll come to church. This is getting on my toes a little bit now. We will show charity, but we demand something in return. This is getting me as well. It's not just stomping on your toes. The Bible says, we're looking at what charity is not, first of all. The Bible says it's not the Salvation Army throwing change in there. Now let's look at some things that charity is. How many of y'all hated when you was little? You hated it. You, you was like three, two. Maybe some of y'all were 10 or 12 before it happened. I don't know. But with me, it was three or two. And, and, and I was doing something. It was the first time ever. My opportunity in my short life to do this particular action. I had no clue if it was right or wrong. The opportunity was there, and I took it. And the next thing I know, an adult has jerked me up, and mm, Israel J. Warren, you ought not to be doing that. Don't ever do that again. And then they walk away. And they told me what not to do in that particular situation. They never told me what to do. And it would bother me even at two or three. Why didn't you tell me? Tell me what to do in this situation next time so I don't get wore out. Please, Mama. Please, Granny. God doesn't leave us hanging, thank God. I believe in the principle of replacement. I just taught a series on it at the church in St. Mary's. If God doesn't want you to do something, there's a verse for that. Remember this morning there's an app for that? Well, there's a verse for that. He's got a verse on telling you what not to do. And the world likes to harp on, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Well, he's also got a verse on thou shalt. This will replace the bad I want you to get out of your life, Israel. If, I don't want you beating up people for no good reason anymore just because you're mad at people from Alabama. I want you to go up to Alabama and start preaching the gospel to them. I replaced the old anger. I replaced losing my temper at the drop of a hat over silly things. When I got saved, God said, don't do that, but do this, replace it. What does the Bible say about emptiness? Cast out the demon. He couldn't come back and check on you 
if you're lost. Turning over a new leaf won't change anything. And he's going to find you cleaned out, swept. He's going to go get seven buddies wickier than him and come back. The Bible teaches a principle of replacement. If you're lost and you want to turn over a new leaf, you come see the Savior and he'll make you whiter than snow. He'll save your soul, forgive you of your sins, revive his spirit within you. And he'll fill you up with the scriptures. How do we renew our mind? I gave the illustration to our folks. I had a two-cup glass jar, and I filled it with the blackest coffee you ever did see. God, if you empty that out, it's going to get filled with something, right? What, we got solids, liquids, and gas? If you dump the coffee out, it's going to get filled with what? Whatever's in the atmosphere, air. God doesn't say just empty it out. He wants you to renew it. How do you renew it? Washing of the water. There's so much about renewal, but specifically renewing your mind, put good stuff in, and it's automatically going to flush the old stuff out. It took 23 cups of water to get two cups of coffee out of that two-cup glass jar before it was crystal clear. 23 cups of good, clean water. God tells us what charity is. How to replace a non-charitable action? Do something that is charitable. Verse 4, charity suffereth long. Think of the long-suffering of God. His charity was real. He knew before the foundation of the world I would be born. He had already written my members in a book. He knew that I was going to sin against His holy name and break His commandments, and He still allowed me to be born. He still allowed me to make choices to choose to come to that age of accountability, step over that God-given conscience and say, I'm going to choose to sin, and I know it's wrong. I know it's not just my mom and dad's going to whip me when they catch me. It's not a, uh, that. It's not, I just know in my heart this is wrong before God, and I'm going to do it anyway. He was long-suffering. All those fights I was in, shooting and knifing and clubbing, could have died. And he would have been just and holy if I would have went to hell. But he was long-suffering. My brother Robert got on drugs when he was 18. Oh, it's just marijuana. It's just pot. I can handle it, Dad. It just gives me a good feeling, and it's okay. It's okay. Just the first step on the ladder, he started climbing that drug ladder. Tried them all, every alphabet under the sun. He tried it. And I got bitter and mad. Oh, man. I was a lot younger than him, 10 years younger, 8 when he started. He stole mom and dad blind, robbed my dad's well and business, my mom's jewelry, the guns. I wasn't saved, and I hated him. Thought about shooting him in the middle of the night in one of his drug stupors. That'd take care of the problem. Thank God. Thank God I didn't. I got saved, and I still had a bad attitude. And the Lord showed me how long-suffering he was to me one night. And why couldn't I be that way to my brother? And I started praying for my brother. And I started going up to him and just telling him, I love you, Robert, and I'm praying for you. And I know you don't want to talk about it. You done told me that. And I'd walk away. He got saved when he was 42. Sometimes we need to emulate the long-suffering charity of God. He died when he was 45 from heart failure from all the overdoses he'd had before he got saved. But he's in heaven now. I just preached his funeral. Two springs ago. 
What if I'd have kept that bad attitude? Don't we like that? What do they call themselves down in Pensacola, that, that supposed revival? A bad attitude, Baptist blowout? That's what they call their revival. That's what some of us have. And is kind. While you're suffering long, you're kind. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Thank God while Jesus was on the cross, he didn't call those 10,000 angels down to wipe out the earth. He was kind. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So often, we'll, I'll put up with this, but I ain't going to like it. That's Southern attitude coming out right there with a smile. Charity envieth not. What about rich people? Should we be charitable to rich people? Tell you a story. There was a man. He's a rich oil tycoon from the Gulf of Mexico. This is back in the 60s for cell phones and such. He, he got him a brand new Lincoln. He'd slap some Longhorns on the front of it. It wasn't pink, but he did. It wasn't a Cadillac. It was a Lincoln, but he put the Longhorns on the front. He was driving up to Atlanta for a business meeting, and he decided, I'm going to go the scenic route, go through the Koneka National Forest in Alabama. Well, he got out there, and his car, brand new, broke down on him. No gas station, no house in sight, just trees. But he figured he'd just start walking, and by and by, some redneck would see him, and for a little bit of money, take him to the next gas station, to the phone where he could make a phone call. So he started walking. Well, what he thought would happen, a redneck passed that really rich car, saw the tracks in the clay road, and started following him. Old man in a beat-up old pickup truck, a pre-World War II Ford, falling apart, held together with baling wire, pulled up and said, hey, looks like from your tracks you need a ride. I'll take you to the nearest gas station. That was what the lost man, rich man, expected. Takes him to the gas station, gives him a gospel track, and then this boggled the rich man's mind. He left. He never asked for anything. The rich man didn't read the gospel tract. A few weeks went by. He could not sleep at night because that poor man did not meet his expectations and ask for money for his charitable act. He couldn't put his mind around it. He said, well, the gospel tract's got a church address on it. I'm going to go to that church, and I'll see him there, and I'll give him some money, and then I'll sleep at night. He goes to the church. That poor man wasn't there. But he found out at the church what made the poor man act like that. The rich man heard about the charity and kindness, long-suffering of God. And he got saved. That rich man got saved. You can show some charity to rich people too. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. We call this in the South, I don't have them on. I've gotten married. I'm not as skinny as I used to be. Used to, I was as skinny as a beanpole, and I had to wear suspenders or else my britches would fall down and stuff like that. You ever read the verse in Ecclesiastes about wearing suspenders, preacher? The Bible says two are better than one. For if the one falleth, the other will hold his brother up again. Amen. So you, that's a verse on suspenders. But, but I, I used, used to be skinny like that, but I'm, I'm not any longer. But we got a saying in the South, popping your suspenders, bragging about yourself. Billy Joe, that was a, my sister-in-law's name. What was your? Bobby Jane. Billy Joe was my sister-in-law. She's passed away now. Bless her heart. That 
You pop your own suspenders. We just reflect the charity of God to a lost and dying world, his goodness, his kindness, his long-suffering. And then we have the audacity to go up to the pastor. <laughs> pastor, you should have seen what I did the other day. Man, that poor rascal needed some help. And, you know, I was busy. I was in a hurry. But you know what? I stopped and helped him anyway. Wasn't I good? Wasn't I good? Pat herself on the back some. We're moving on for sake of time. Verse 5, does not behave itself unseemly. Now, what does that word unseemly? Those are called 50-cent words in the South. If you say a word like that, you're going to get poor quick because all the rednecks hold out their hand, 50 cent. You put that burden on my mind intellectually, that word I don't know, big word, you owe me 50 cent at least. Unseemly, what does it mean? Well, I had a really good uh, physical definition of it when I was a little guy. I had done one of those things I probably had never done before. It was my first opportunity to do it, but I never did it again, I promise you. I don't even remember what it is to this day. It was so well that my Granny Allen put this definition, physical definition on me. She caught me doing whatever it was that I was doing. It was in public where everybody could see it, and she did this number. Israel Warren, that was unseemly. I'm so embarrassed. You did that in public where everybody could see. That was unseemly, Israel Warren. I should whip you. In fact, let's go. Let's go right now. I'm going to go get a limb off the peach tree, and I'm going to tan your hide. And she did. She taught me the definition through a physical definition of the word unseemly. Things that ought not to be done in public, like when you're late for work. And if you can just make this green light, you're going to make the other two green lights, and you'll get to work right on time. But if you hit this one red, you're going to be late. And it's about to turn red. It's yellow, and then somebody zooms around you, cuts you off, and takes off and makes it. And you had to slam it, and you don't make it. And the things you're saying and the curses you're doing with your fingers, when that person looks in the rearview mirror at you, it's a coworker that you've been witnessing to for 10 years. That was unseemly. What we just did in public, that ought not to have been done where people could see it. This message gets me. This is what charity, it behaves seemly. It behaves as a Christian who's trying to emulate the holy God should behave. Seeketh not her own. I knew a man, saved man, lost man came, and I'm going to tell on myself so bad, and you ladies are probably going to rejoice. All the men will groan. I like guns. And there's sometimes, I admit it, I, it's a terrible thing, but there's guns I don't need, but I want them. And we'll dicker. Well, this, this, this saved man. A lost man came by. said, I got this gun for sale. It's a fine Browning rifle. Got a nice Leopold scope on it. And I don't really need to sell it, but I want to get another gun. And didn't know if you wanted to buy this one. I, you know, it's $800. It's a, it was a fair price, fair price. But you know how men are, ladies. They got to dicker a little bit. And they dickered, and they couldn't agree on a price. Lost man went his way, saved Didn't get mad at each other, just didn't. Well, the lost man didn't need to sell it. A few months went by. Now, this was before uh, Internet and all that. This is back in the day of the dial-up phones. Saved man got a phone call. It's that lost man. He'd lost his job. He couldn't pay the bills. He needed food on the table tonight. He had to make it to the utilities before they closed today the to pay the bills or they were cutting them off. You remember that gun I got? You know, I wanted 800 for it. I'll sell it for 700 That's what you asked for a few months ago. How about six? Seeketh not her own. Do we seek our own? Do we seek our own advantage? I'll help you, but I'm going to get something out of it, bless God. This is me. This, this right here, this one steps on my toes. It's not easily provoked. I got a temper. And there's Bible verses for that. What not to do, what to replace it with. 
We're moving on, getting in high gear. Thinketh no evil. Again, a southern trait, a terrible one, will lie. You just offended us really bad. And you, are you okay? Everything's all right. Bless your heart. But on the inside, we're raging. And if, we could, if people could only hear what we're thinking sometimes. See, it's not just an outside action. It's also on the inside. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Gossiping. When you see someone commit a sin, and you just can't wait to call someone up to tell them to pray for it. I'm, I'm not gossiping. It's just praying. You need to pray for them. You wouldn't imagine what they just did. But rejoiceth in the truth. Did you ever call them up six months later when you told the same person you told about that person doing something terrible? Six months later when you led them to the Lord, did you let them know that person got saved? And they're stopped doing that terrible thing now by the grace of God. Beareth all things. Thank God, God bore our sins on the cross of Calvary. This one gets me. When a man was trying to beat our door down, and I'm out in the village, and he's drunk. He's a violent man when he's drunk, and he's threatening to rape the wife and kids, and I'm sitting on the other side of the door with a shotgun, praying to God one second, let him come in, Lord. Let him come in. And then the next, don't let him come in, Lord. If I shoot him, he's lost. He's going to go to hell. When I see that man on the road and a few days later, do I really believe he could still get saved? Hopeth all things. Do I hope he could get saved? Hope, the definition in the Bible. Something you know you're going to get one day. Just haven't gotten it yet, but you're looking forward to it. The blessed hope that we have of going to heaven. We know we're going to get it. Ain't got it yet, but it'll be... Do we hope that same man will get saved? Are we ever going to witness to him again? Are we ever going to invite him to church again? Would we want him sitting on the same church pew as our family? This is where the rubber meets the road in a Christian's life with charity. Charity never faileth, endureth all things to the end. Thank God Christ endured the cross. He showed charity. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. We've looked at some things charity is not. We've looked at some things charity is. We're going to look at the eternal blessings of charity and consequences of not having charity. Eternal. Verse 9, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. I can prophesy this. If a person does not get saved, they're going to split hell wide open. If they do get saved, they're going to go to heaven and be in the presence of the God Almighty, sovereign, high and holy, lifted up for the rest of eternity. But when that which is perfect has come, then that, this is still talking about prophecy. We haven't somehow magically transferred to some other dispensation. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. That poor safe man who picked up that rich man in Alabama didn't know the end results of that story yet. He never met again. They're both dead now. The man I heard the story from, the rich man, is dead. The poor man, no doubt, was already elderly. He's dead. They didn't, the poor man didn't know what was going to happen here on earth. He gave that man, this is before the days of bottled water. I still remember the story. He said he opened his thermos with cold water and gave the man a cup of cold water. The Bible talks about that. You don't know how far just a cup of cold water on a hot day will go towards seeing someone get saved. But the Bible says one day we will. 
But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. I used to do uncharitable things before I got saved. Maybe still some when I was a baby Christian. But God expects us to grow. And one of the things to grow in is charity as we mature in the Lord. But when I became a man, I put away childish things, those unseemly things. For now we see through a glass darkly. Right now we don't know how far our acts of charity will go. But the Bible says, but then shall I know even as also I am known. One day, the Bible says God's going to judge. He, 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 he's, a, he's a good husband, and I can learn from him. He's going to judge his bride privately. It's not going to be a public uproar, and that's something for me to know. He's going to take the saved people. The Bible says we're going to come before holy God. Everything we did after salvation, he's going to light a spiritual match with the Holy Spirit. He's going to set on fire. Wood, hay, and stubble, the worthless things I did after I got saved, the uncharitable acts included in that are going to burn up and be nothing, ashes. But charity is going to be some of that gold, silver, and precious stones. Then shall I know, even as also I am known, We'll see the people we led to the Lord through some charitable acts. But we're also going to see at the great white throne of judgment when every lost person ever born will stand before God will be judged according to the books. And they're going to go to hell. And you know it. And all tears aren't wiped away until after this happens. And I'm going to see some people that I did not act charitably towards. Friends, lost loved ones, enemies. And I chose to do some action that turned them hard towards the gospel of God. And I'm going to watch them be cast into a lake of fire. Then shall I know, even as also I am known, how you're known down here by a lost person. I don't think they're going to look for you in the crowd. They're going to be before holy God undone in their sin. I believe it's the worst thing that will ever happen to them, worse than the lake of fire, to be in the presence of God Almighty undone in their sin and to know that I could have done something, just a random kindness, and in the pride of my life I chose no. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The Bible says that charity never faileth. I'll be rewarded for my charitable acts. But what about all the lost people that I was not charitable towards? Yes, sin hurts. It put our Savior on the cross. Yes, that drunk that ran into your loved one and they died in that hit and run accident. It's hard to witness to them. God loves them, for them too. And it's worth going down to the jail and witnessing to them. From personal experience, I can tell you that. Instead of letting a root of bitterness grow up in your heart, go with a great, unfettered love of God, without price, not asking for anything in return, unmerited. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to emulate you and just reflect your great charity to a lost and dying world, that they're attracted to you and your holiness and your 
You're high and lifted up. You're perfect. You're without spot. Help us, dear Lord, to be a better witness in this world and help us to do it with charity. In your name, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Pastor.